Good morning. What's the most amazing thing you've ever seen? Fifty years ago this week, something truly amazing happened. Three men from the United States of America, Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, along with the help of the oft-forgotten third guy, if anybody remembers, that's right, Michael Collins, completed the amazing mission to be the first men to the moon. I mean, think about that. Fifty years ago, when the entire NASA Manned Spacecraft Center had less computing power than your cell phone, man set foot on the moon. And sorry to the conspiracy theorists in the room, but I will argue they did in fact land on the moon. Lee and I, on Tuesday, we watched the, the live rebroadcast of the original CBS coverage of Walter Cronkite. It was amazing. They even replayed the, the advertisements from the broadcast, which were hysterical. And I bring this up because you may have noticed the Sermon Series logo we've been using this summer. The painting in the background is from an artist's rendition of the crowds gathered at Cape Kennedy, Florida to witness the launch of Apollo 11. And there's something I love about this image. I think it captures something about celebration and picture that is, it's just captivating. It's the fact that all of the people, no matter their jobs, no matter their background, race, creed, nationality, they stand together in awe. They are truly stopped in their tracks, acknowledging that there's something happening in front of them that is worthy of their attention. And I'm positive that as those crowds went home, and, and for those who maybe remember seeing Neil Armstrong set foot on the moon, you couldn't just say, oh, that was neat, and then go back to doing the dishes or whatever else. You know, They had to talk about it. What's the most amazing thing you've ever witnessed? Think about it. Now let me ask, did you keep the news of that to yourself? I mean, of course not. When, when you witness something amazing, it's, it's all that you can talk about. It just overflows out of you. It's uncontainable. And that's what we see today in our psalm. One of my favorite psalms, Psalm 145. A psalm of uncontainable celebration. And as we seek to celebrate in the psalms this summer, let's turn now to God's word through David in Psalm 145. Psalm 145. This is the word of the Lord. A psalm of praise of David. I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to one another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the, the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He is compassionate on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. 
The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all those who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked will be, he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Now, language always, always, always falls short of capturing something truly amazing. Sometimes it just, just feels like there aren't words to describe what we've seen. And when it comes to who God is and what he has done, phrases often feel like they fall short. Yet God gives us language. And when God describes himself to us, we should pay attention. And at the center of Psalm 145 is a phrase that should sound familiar. The Lord is gracious and compassionate slow to anger, and rich in love. And this is pretty much a direct quote of how God described himself to Moses on Mount Sinai. You might remember the story. Remember Moses, he met with God. God gave him the Ten Commandments when he was up on Mount Sinai for 40 days. And when Moses came back down from the mountain, the people, the people who had seen God do amazing things throughout the Exodus, split the Red Sea. They had forgotten in the midst of that 40 days and when Moses came down, he found that they had melted all of their golden jewelry and built a golden calf to worship. So Moses smashed the Ten Commandments. He was angry, rightly so. But God in his mercy called Moses back up the mountain. And God gave Moses two stone tablets, just like the first ones. And then Exodus 34 says this. It says, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, The Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming this. Listen closely. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. There it is. The phrase captures the essence of who God is and what he wants to communicate about himself and also what he's done. He is and has been always compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, and aboundingly rich in love and faithfulness. And we can imagine that David, as he's sitting there composing this psalm, he's recalling the stories of Moses and others, but he's also remembering his own story. His own story of God's compassion and mercy and grace and calling and his love and faithfulness. Think of Bathsheba. I mean, David had made his mistakes and he knew how God was slow to anger. And in this moment, as he's writing this song, he's being captured again by awe and amazement of who God is and what he's done. And he's drawn into praise and into celebration. It's like David has taken the next logical step in our series. And he's stopped from his regular rhythms and he's remembered who he was made by and for and he's turned his focus on Jesus. And now that he's like the crowd, you know, like at Cape Kennedy, like that crowd looking at Apollo 11, and he's got his jaw dropped recalling God, and he paints a picture of celebration that is honestly profoundly simple, maybe frustratingly simple, but it should cut us to the core, and it's this. 
as followers of Jesus, celebrating who God is and what he's done, we need to talk about Jesus every day. And that's our big idea this morning. Let's break that down. First, talk. Why am I using this? I mean, it's such an ambiguous phrase, talk. But listen to the words of verses 4 through 7 again. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your glorious, wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. Seven times in four verses, David uses a word to describe communicating with others. One generation commends God's works. They tell of what he's done. They speak of who he is. They tell of his awesome works. They proclaim his deeds. They celebrate his goodness and joyfully sing of his righteousness. The picture isn't of being shy, right? I mean, but let me ask. Has anyone ever heard this famous quote of St. Francis? Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Have you heard this before? Yeah. Amazing quote. I, I feel like I've heard it used a lot. But there's a couple problems with it. First off, St. Francis never said it. I mean, that doesn't make it untrue, but it's just true. You know, he never actually said it. It's unknown who said this. But secondly, the other problem with it is that it gets totally abused. I mean, it's this great, amazing quote because it pushes back against the idea that Christians sharing the good news only looks like a logical argument or, or handing out a tract or preaching from a soapbox. And it's a beautiful call to the embodiment of living our lives in light of the good news of God's love and grace and, and how that has a tremendous impact and is a powerful way of communicating truth. It reminds us to love in deeds, to, to notice the oppressed, to care for the poor, to love our neighbor. However, it gets totally abused. It's like the ultimate excuse for being silent. When you witness good news, you can't contain it by being silent. I mean, when David is celebrating God, when he encounters who God is and what he has done in David's life, David just doesn't shut up. Great is God, and he is worthy of being talked about. His greatness we can't fathom we got to talk about it. And we will tell one another. In fact, we will recommend it to one another. We will not remain silent. And here's a harsh truth this morning. If we never talk about who God is and what he's done, then perhaps we are never sharing the good news. And perhaps we just look like people who haven't witnessed anything. And last week we considered a big scary question. What am I made for? And this week, I want us to consider this, this other big, big important question. Who is God and what has he done? Because if we think the answer to that question is you know, ho-hum, you know, boring, and nobody cares, then perhaps we need to ask God that question again. Or maybe let him ask us, right? Because that's what Jesus in the gospel calls us to come to terms with, that answer. He's the one who asked, who do you say that I am? So who do you say that he is? I mean, he is the living God, present in this very room, who loves you, who didn't leave you alone and broken, but died for you that you may have joyful and abundant life with him. We cannot remain silent about that. 
And if we want to stop together and turn to Jesus and acknowledge him, fair warning, when we witness God, it will call us out of the silence. It should get us talking. But before I go off too much, I mean, let's be honest here. David is not saying we all need to go become street evangelists, handing out tracts. And that leads to the second part of the big idea this morning. What are we to talk about? Now imagine with me for a second, you were in the crowds, in the stands at Cape Kennedy after the launch of Apollo 11. And you came home to talk about it with your neighbor. And and they said, tell me about the launch. Now, they wouldn't be expecting you to explain the physics of the internal combustion engine of the Saturn rocket system. Unless your neighbor is Chris Love, of course, right? He, He might want you to talk about the physics. Now, when they asked, can you tell me about the launch? They are asking for you to tell them, just, what did you see? I mean, what did you witness? What was it like? How did it make you feel? Just just tell me what you saw. And that's what we need to remember, that when we celebrate God, when we stop together and turn to Jesus, no matter what, we will have our eyes open to the reality of who God is and what he has done. And as we see in the psalm, to celebrate together means we're going to talk about it. But what happens is we become so shy and fearful about talking about Jesus, honestly, myself included. Because we think talking about Jesus means we have to convince people through some sort of debate setting, and we feel ill-equipped to open up that that can of worms and go down that road. That's just not for me. I'm not called to do that. And sure, not everyone is called to teach, but everyone is called to witness, to just tell the news. And this is the image of celebration in Psalm 145. Did you notice the word celebrate? I was so nerding out this past week as I was studying the original word used in the Hebrew that's translated celebrate here. And I thought I was going to save you all from my nerdy moment, but nope, it's just too good. Here's the word, nabah. It's a word that describes the action of water from a spring or a stream. And here's the image. It's it's how the water just gushes and bubbles over and pours out. Literally, David is saying, they will overflow your abundant goodness. The idea is that the people of God who have tasted and seen God's goodness, they can't contain it to themselves. What they have just spills over and overflows onto everyone else. If you're in their life, you're in the splash zone, right? And I think the NIV made an awesome decision to translate this word as celebrate. That's how you celebrate when you witness God on the move. You can't remain silent. You have to talk about it. You don't have to have an understanding of every systematic element of theology. No, you've witnessed the living God on the move in your life. Don't contain that. That should overflow. That's celebration. And I guess what I'm saying this morning is, I mean, I want to hear your stories. We want to hear your stories together. How have you seen God on the move? That's what it looks like to celebrate and talk about Jesus, talk about what we've seen. So let me ask, what have you seen? And don't tell me, you know, well, a good Christian worldview says, no, tell me, what have you seen? 
I've seen God bring peace when anger felt like the only solution. I've seen him heal someone from a broken leg. I've seen God heal a young man from over a dozen anaphylactic allergies. I've heard God speak in the stillness. I felt his comfort when I was lost. I've experienced forgiveness and grace when it felt irrational to feel anything but shame. I mean, how can you contain these things? How, how do I contain? Well, we just don't talk about it, and it gets forgotten. And that leads to the final part of our big idea this morning. To talk about Jesus every day. And this is how the psalm begins with two key phrases, forever and ever. You know, and this is talking about over the length of our lives, I, I will exalt, I will stop and acknowledge and celebrate my God, the King. This is about the unending duration of how we should be celebrating God. And then David says, every day I will praise you. This is about the specific, repeated, and consistent nature of the celebration we should be drawn into when we see who God is and what he's done. And I know there are tough seasons where the idea of celebrating just feels honestly impossible. And we've touched on that the past couple of weeks. But when we redefine celebration to be the stopping together from our normal rhythms to acknowledge the one who is worthy of our attention, you may not like what you see, but this is who God is. A God who is compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. In fact, Jonah, who we studied last year, he quoted that phrase exactly. And he complained because he didn't want God to be slow to anger. He wanted God to punish others. So when we encounter or consider who God is and what he has done, maybe you won't like it, but that's who God is. Gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. He is good to all. In fact, the psalm continues and says he is near and close to all who call on him. He satisfies the desires of all things. He holds the earth together. That doesn't change one day from the next. So when we encounter who God is and what he's done, most clearly seen in Jesus Christ, it is good and right to respond by saying, I will praise you forever and ever, every day. I want to lift up who you are and overflow onto others that you are worthy of praise. And the more that it is on our lips, the less we will forget about what he has done. And here's the picture that emerges from Psalm 145. When we encounter Jesus, it will call us to talk about him, talk about what we've seen, talk about Jesus every day. And as we turn to consider how to respond and practically, you know, to consider, so what am I supposed to do with this? There's a really important purpose for this all. Did you catch it in the Psalm? David says why we do this. Beyond that it's the only reasonable way to respond when we encounter the beauty of Jesus. He says in verse 12, we talk about Jesus so that all people may know of your mighty acts. He's talking about what God has done. It's so all people may know of your glorious splendor. That's who God is. And isn't that oftentimes the purpose of celebration? I mean, stop and think about it. If I throw my wife a party celebrating her birthday, it's because I want to share with everyone just how, how great and amazing and awesome she is. Or think about when, when we have a funeral, we, we sometimes call it a celebration of life. We tell stories there so that everyone there can be informed about who that loved one really was. 
we celebrate to pass on and to invite others to get to know what we have been able to witness ourselves. And so I have two charges this morning. One, consider your life. Document what you have seen so you don't forget it. You know, think hard. What have you been a witness to? And I want to ask again, who is in your life that maybe is dry? You know, you've kept them out of the splash zone. Who doesn't know that God has been gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love to you? And I want to ask you to consider specifically, what would it look like to talk about that, to tell that story? Maybe you don't need words. But maybe you do. But secondly, there's also a very specific audience mentioned in this psalm that we cannot gloss over. David says, one generation commends your kingdom to one another. Do you talk about Jesus every day with the next generation? This goes for parents, grandparents, widows, married with no kids, single, young people. If you don't talk about Jesus every day with the next generation, how will they know? And just to, to illustrate this, let me, let me share a warning from the book of Judges that we discussed with the Sunday school class on parenting last fall. And, and I think it's pretty self-explanatory, but listening closely, Judges 2, 6, 7, and 10 says, After Joshua dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. And the people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. But after that, whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up, listen closely, who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Did you catch it? I mean, one generation knew God, walked with him, but the very next one grew up and neither knew the Lord nor even knew what he had done. I mean, what a terrible, frightening picture. Now, if we have, honestly, we, we have no control if the next generation will walk away from God. But if they don't know what he has done in our lives, that just means we've never talked about it. And we certainly didn't do it every day. So let me ask, how are you celebrating and talking about Jesus to the next generation? That is all of our responsibility together. What Jesus has done in you and who he has shown himself to be in relationship with you is not meant to be just pondered alone. It's it's to be ever on our lips. And for a long season here, God has really blessed us with so many young kids. We cannot waste that gift. And if this is your church home, let me ask you, are you telling the kids your story? I know Sarah Martin is. She probably hates that I'm calling her out, but... But during VBS, a highlight for me was hearing her say this. She's talking about prayer with the kids, and she said, I talk to Jesus every day. He's my best friend. He has forever changed my life, and he wants to change yours as well. Wow. I mean, it was just this brief glimpse into her story, but how beautiful that was, Sarah, that you captured the same idea that David in Psalm 145 shares with us, when we stop and consider who God is and what he's done, we should start telling stories. And maybe you're still considering what the next chapter is for you, but, and maybe it's 
It's about talking about what Jesus has done in your life more. And maybe specifically it's with our little ones. And if that's stirring something up for you, I want to make this very practical. Talk to me or Katie Madden after the service. This summer, we are celebrating who God is and what he has done through the Psalms. And we're stopping together to acknowledge the one who is worthy of our attention, Jesus. And as we do the good and, and, and right way, as we do this, you know, the good and right way to respond in celebration is, is to be uncontained. Be an overflowing spring of water splashing out onto all those around us. I mean, that we might be a witness so that all people might join in and be welcoming to celebrate Jesus because he's our savior and he's worthy. Let's give this to the Lord.